Amen. Well, good evening, Moody Church. Um, my name is Philip Miller. It's great to see you again. Uh, this has been a very emotional day for me and my family and just making phone calls and connecting with people who've been praying for, for you and for us over this weekend. And we are just delighted uh, to see what God has done. And uh, tonight I'm going to share with you just some thoughts from Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, I just sort of found out we sort of added this little bit here on Sunday evening to the schedule kind of last minute. And so I literally uh, took a page out of uh, Pastor Lutzer's book and wrote my outline on, on an envelope just a few minutes ago. And so we're going we're gonna to just do this together. This is more of a devotional, just sort of sharing some thoughts here um, from Isaiah chapter 6, which is one of my favorite passages uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. And so uh, let's, uh, let's read the passage first, and then we'll sort of walk through it a little bit here. But I, I'm just going to read the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 6. If you have a Bible at home, you can open it up and join us. Uh, I think we also have the verses on the uh, screen, the lower thirds here, uh, to help you follow along in that way as well. So this is Isaiah chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 1, all the way down to verse 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah speaking, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and he, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and said, uh, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. I, what I love about this passage is I, I think it encapsulates for us so much of what it means to live in, in the movements of gospel renewal. Gospel renewal is, is what, it, what happens when God calls us back to himself, when we rediscover the joy of our salvation, when we come once again home to all that we are in Jesus. And uh, we talked about that this morning in the invitations of Jesus. This is sort of how Isaiah responds to God's reaching out and initiation in drawing him to himself. So just briefly, I want to show you four movements of, of gospel renewal here. These are the core uh, attributes, the movements that we go through when God is revitalizing and, and renewing our faith in the gospel. And uh, this is Isaiah's experience of it. The, the first movement is adoration. Adoration. This is in verses 1 through 4 here. In the year that King Uzziah died. Let's just pause for a moment. King Uzziah had been on the throne for 52 years. This is in the 8th century BC. And so this was stable. Everyone knew Uzziah. It's over 
you know, a generation. Everyone had always known Uzziah as king. There was normalcy, stability, economic prosperity, and then all of a sudden, King Uzziah died, and the world is thrown in turmoil and chaos. It's not unlike this moment where we are uh, experiencing chaos because of COVID-19 and all the upheaval and what's going on and what's stable. That's how these people felt. And it was in this moment when King Uzziah was no longer on his throne that Isaiah saw the one who is enthroned above all. He sees God. Look at the, the next phrase here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, what a scene of glory. He's not even looking at God himself. He's seeing all the stuff around. The train of his robe is filling the temple. We, we know what a, what a train is, like on a wedding dress. Remember, years ago, they used to be really long, these wedding trains that would trail behind the bride as she came down the aisle. It was a sign of the glory of the, of the bride. And what would it imagine the, the, the moody church, the sanctuary, and the, the, the robe, the train of the robe of the king going all the way out of the building and filling not just the temple, but the entire earth. I mean, just what, an, what a beautiful picture of the majesty and glory of God. And so it continues, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. He covered his, two with his, covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. Two, he, he flew. And they're calling one to another here. We, we really don't know what seraphim are. They're angelic, supernatural beings. Uh, but here they are with voices that are calling out in the presence of the holiness of God. These are guardians of the holiness of God worshiping him and they cry out in this cacophony back to for, back and forth and in tiffinal worship here holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory what a what a majestic scene here can you imagine Moody Church split down the middle with the balcony on one side. I'm watching it right now, the balcony over here, and everyone shouting, holy, 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 holy. We might have to do that sometime. But what would it be like to hear that coming from every direction? This is the scene. And in verse 4, it says, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called the angel's voice, and the house was filled with smoke. This is like a volcanic eruption of glory in the holy place, in the presence of God. And here's what Isaiah begins to realize. God is far more holy than we could ever dare conceive. God is far more holy than we could ever dare conceive. He is separate. He is holy. He is unique. He is above and Isaiah sees this and quakes in the presence of God. This is how gospel renewal begins. When we see God in all of his holiness and grandeur and glory and realize how insignificant we are. He is, C.S. Lewis talks about how glory is the kavod, the heavy weight of God. That, that, that there's a weight of glory that God's presence rests upon us and when it falls we know that we are undone which is exactly what happens in the next verse which moves us to the second movement here of gospel renewal which is confession 
confession. Look at verse 5. And I said, woe is me. This is Isaiah speaking. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah, in seeing the holiness of God, is immediately aware of his own inadequacy, his own brokenness, his own sinfulness. How he, he's a servant of God. He's a prophet of God. He serves God. He's a minister. And yet in this moment, he quakes before the holy grandeur of God. And this is what holiness does when we really see it. It causes us to come up short. Now he says here, I I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and my lips are unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why is he mentioning his lips? Of all the things, does he not have sin in his heart? Does he not have sin on his hands? Does he not have uh, sin in all of his life? Why would he single out his lips? Well, here's 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 my theory. It is the lips that are his greatest gift from God. He's a prophet. He speaks the word of God. And he is saying, even my most holy, most precious divine gift and calling from God is dirty and filthy in the presence of the holiness of God. Even the most beautiful thing about me is filthy in the light of the holiness of God. And so he confesses because he begins to realize we are far more sinful than we ever dared realize. We are far more sinful than we ever dared realize. The third movement now of gospel renewal kicks in here at verse verses six and seven, and it's consolation, consolation. It's an old word, I'll define it in a second, but look at here, Isaiah six, verses six and seven. Then when the seraphim flew to me, having taken in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. Can you imagine a red hot coal taken from a blazing fire applied to wet lips. Just searing, cauterizing, painful, excruciating, and yet relieving because your sin is atoned for, your guilt is taken away. The saints of old called this consolation. The moment when you realize that grace has fallen upon you, and that you are not defined by your sin, and you are not in danger of being consumed by the holiness of God, but that you have received mercy and grace and kindness at the hands of God. This is, of course, prefiguring the cross and all that Christ will do in the searing pain and agony that he endures on the cross as he dies in our place and for our sake, bearing all of our sin and shame and rises again in glory to reconcile us and make us right with God. This is a picture of all that he is about to do. But it's, of course, Old Testament, and so we don't have the fullness of it yet, and yet it symbolizes all of what Jesus will one day do. You and I, friends, this is our reality. 
We have been purged, cleansed, atoned by the blood of Jesus Christ, far more powerful than any coal. He took the searing pain so that we might receive the consolation of the mercy of God and rest in the reality that we are sons and daughters of God. His spirit dwells in us, crying out, Abba, Father. This is who we are in Christ, consoled in the love of God. The fourth movement of gospel renewal is here in the last verse. It's entrustment. Entrustment. Look at verse uh, 8 here. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Send me. Um, I love this verse. Isaiah realizes to be loved and consoled by the mercy and grace of God means God can ask him whatever he wants of him. He can no longer hold back. The old hymn says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. There is a surrender that is the natural outcome of having received the mercy and grace of God. To look at the cross where Jesus died, to see his love, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. To feel that fall upon you is to also have to say, here am I, send me. Whatever you need, Father. Whatever, wherever you may call me, I'm, I must go. And I will follow you. And there's an entrustment as we give ourselves back to God that uh, Isaiah realizes and runs right into. And here's what I want you to, to see. Oh, I skipped something earlier. <laughs> back in verse uh, point three, consolation. The main idea there is that we are far more loved than we ever dared hope, right? We're far more loved than we ever dared hope. And so here in verse four, we realize that God is calling us into a far greater adventure than we could ever dare imagine, ever dare imagine. So much adventure in the mission of God wherever he calls us to go, to people far from Jesus, but near to us. And so what you have here is really a four-step dance. A four-step dance of gospel renewal to respond to God. And here's what I realized just in my life. I, every one of us, I think, wants to start at step three, consolation, feeling loved by God. But the only way to get to step three is to begin with number one, to see the holiness of God, to be shattered by it, to realize our brokenness, our sin, our deep need for grace, to confess that openly, to realize we're broken. And it is then that we can receive the consolation of God. And here's the reality. We can't stop at step three. Once we've been consoled by the love of God, it compels us, in the language of Paul, to go. Here am I, send me into the mission of God. Entrustment is the natural outflow of having received consolation. So these things work together. And it is this, when, when God calls us to himself into gospel renewal, into the new life and the reconstituted life of what it means to follow him, it always follows these four, these four movements. And so I, this is, again, what the Holy Spirit is calling each one of us to, to, to adoration, confession, consolation, and ultimately to entrustment. Um, I'm going to just pray for us for a, 
for a few minutes here, and then I think the gang here has a bunch of really fun Q&A to do to, so we can kind of get to know each other a little bit better. But let me, let me pray for us this evening. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your holiness that shatters us. I thank you for even for our sin and brokenness that leads us to you and your mercy. And I thank you for your consolation, for your love that is greater than all of our sin, and for the beautiful adventure of entrusting ourselves to you and following you all the days of our lives and saying, here am I, send me wherever you want to take me. I will go. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.